not make that up. That is an actual book of the Bible, though perhaps not one we often find ourselves in. But Pastor Steve continued on the message while my family and I were away about under the sun. And and I got to tell you, that inspired me. He got into Ecclesiastes and I said, well, I want to do that too. And so here we are in Ecclesiastes this evening as we continue our thoughts on the life of Solomon. Each of us, as believers in Jesus Christ, must choose what world we want to live for, either this one or the world to come. And perhaps you've experienced this, where you came to a place in your faith where it was more than just attending on Sunday morning and perhaps uh, singing the songs, and, and it became very real to you. And you started to look at everything in your life under the, the lens of Scripture. Everything in your life is, well, what does this have to do with God? And how does this part of my life connect? And what does God want me to do with this? Maybe you had that. I had that thrust upon me, uh, I would say, relatively as a young Christian. I came to know Christ when I was about 18 years old. And then I was, I was called into ministry when I was 20. And the same time that I was called into ministry was the same time that I had this battle that was raging in my heart over what world I would live for. I was in a secular college studying to go into a secular field, and I had all sorts of plans for my life and plans that revolved around earthly treasure. I wanted a boat. Uh, now that I've seen how much trouble a boat is, I don't want one, and so I'm glad the Lord kept me from that. Um, I wanted to have lots of vacations, lots of money. I, my peers were getting hired right out of graduation at very lucrative jobs, and I thought, well, I'm good, headed for the same. And then God dealt with me about going into full-time Christian service. And before I could even answer that question, I had to deal with which world would I live for. And I can remember walking around outside of my dormitory on the campus at Ohio State at about three in the morning, wrestling, wrestling back and forth in my own mind. And I'm like, God, can't I just be a really rich deacon? Would that be okay? And there would have been nothing wrong with that had that been what God had for me. But what he had for me was not about a call to preach, first and foremost, but it was which world I was going to live for. That was the battle taking place in my heart. It was a battle between my flesh and the Spirit of God. And by God's grace, he led me to live for the world to come. You know, my circumstances are unique, but that battle is common among many people. Believers in Jesus Christ are called to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as they do, you'll, you'll find your priorities end up coming in conflict with what's going on around you. Perhaps you think, I want to do this with my life, but God says, I want you to do this. Or you may say, I want to be with that person. I want to start a relationship. And God may say, maybe you're not supposed to do that. Or you may say, I want to give my time to this, but it's going to take me out of church or you say, I, I want to go to church, but I also have this great opportunity over here. And all of a sudden, you're, you're in a conflict of priorities. And that is not unique to just people in ministry. That's unique to all of us. And so the question comes down to, what will I spend my life on? You get this one life. What do you want to do with it? You get this one life. Now, we know that if you've trusted Christ as Savior, we have eternal life. And we are going to live forever with God in heaven. But we have only this life here on this earth to decide what to do with this valuable time that sets us up for the rest of eternity. What will you spend your life on? And you say, that's very vague to spend your life. Let's, let's boil it down to something a little more tangible. What will you spend your time on? 
Even that's a little bit vague. Let me ask you this. What will you spend your Tuesday on? What will you spend your Wednesday on? What are you going to what are you going to spend your lunch break on? Your Friday night on? Your Saturday night on? You say, "Well, what what else besides time? What are you going to spend your money on?" What are you going to spend your money on? What about your effort? Did you did you realize that you can't do everything? How many of you have realized you can't do everything? That took me a minute to realize that I couldn't do everything. I thought I could do everything and I could have everything. You know what I found out? It's a trade-off. Life is a trade-off. And anybody that tells you that you can do everything is not telling you the truth. We have to choose the right things because we only have so much energy. Your talents, all of it. And we can't both love the things of this world and love the Father. The Bible says that those two things are at odds with one another. And since we can't love both of those things, we're going to have to choose. And if it was so easy, we would have done it by now, right? If there wasn't a battle raging inside of us, we would have clearly made the decision by now. So the question is, is there any help for us in God's word over this battle that rages between this world and the next? And yes, there is. Here's a man that has plumbed the depths of satisfaction and dissatisfaction, of plenty and of asceticism, of pleasure and of madness, he said. So let's look in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, beginning in verse number 13. The word of God says this. There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely, riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. But those riches perish by evil travail, and he begetteth a son, and there is nothing in his hand. As he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came. And shall take nothing of his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a sore evil, that in all points, as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that he hath labored for the wind? All his days also he eateth in darkness, and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. Behold, that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun." all the days of his life, which God giveth him, for it is his portion. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. For he shall not much remember the days of his life because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. Let's pray together. Father, may you in this hour answer the questions of our hearts. I pray that you would guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What we find here are the writings of King Solomon during the latter part of his life. King Solomon is David's son. That same David that slew Goliath, that same David that gave us many of the psalms that we have inspired by God. He was the human penman and the vocalist of them. Uh, We also find him as this great king who desired a house for the Lord, but because of the blood on his hands, he was unable to build it. So he put everything in place so that his Solomon, uh, his son Solomon might have a peaceful reign and might be able to do that. And Solomon started off great. He started off humble. He started off recognizing who God is and who he is. And he asked simply for wisdom to lead God's people, to know how to do the things that he needed to do. Started out great. And in fact, God blessed him richly even more so than David, his father. He had a time of peace in his kingdom, all the wealth he could want, all of his enemies. He was at peace with them. And he he was the wisest natural man who has ever lived. 
What happened? The Bible says that Solomon loved many strange women. You say, what's, what's so strange about them? It just meant that they were not of God's people. They were strangers. They were foreign to God. And one of the things that God warned the children of Israel against in the Old Testament was be careful that your heart doesn't get stolen away by bringing in somebody into the marriage relationship who does not worship the true and living God. Because he said, when they come in, they bring their idols with them and they will pull your heart away. And in fact, that's exactly what happened with Solomon. His heart was turned away from God by the 700 wives and 300 concubines that he had. I want you to think about that. 700 wives, 300 concubines. If you were to say about the time that he started, let's say it was 18 years old that he started adding these women into his life and all the way up until 60-something years old when we believe that he died, that would mean that he added a new woman into his life every two weeks. Think about that. And they took his heart away and he started to go with their impulses and they were the daughters of Pharaoh and of the false religions all about and they offered sacrifices in the high places and Solomon even condoned it and helped build them those altars where they could burn incense and even human sacrifices to the pagan gods round about and his heart was turned away from God and in that wisdom he started to lose the meaning of life because that wisdom became separated from God because he became distant from God and we find at the end of his life much regret but also much wisdom from somebody who walked such a destructive path and what he learned about it. And he talks about a sore evil here, something that he saw, something that he witnessed, a grievous, miserable tragedy. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 13, he says, there is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun. Notice that under the sun phrase, that is the idea of this earthly life without God, this earthly life without anything heaven, oriented without anything above just here and now and living for this world probably you know many people that that is their view of the world that they live a life completely separated from god they're living life only under the sun what we've found from solomon's conclusions is that it's empty it's empty without the lord he says here namely riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt people he says this is a great evil i've seen and he's thinking about somebody in particular, we find out. He's thinking about somebody that wanted riches, that coveted riches, the, the wealth of this world, to the point where it destroyed them to their own hurt, to their own hurt. In verse 14, it says, But those riches perish by evil travail, and he begetteth a son, and there is nothing in his hand. It's interesting that he brings up his son. He's saying that this man went to all of his effort in order to gain as much wealth as he possibly could. And something went wrong. Something happened. This, this evil travail, some bad business dealing or some natural disaster, something happened in order to make it so that he lost all of his wealth. This man lived for his wealth and everything was about getting it. And he, he burned bridges because of it. He hurt the relationships of his life because of it. His heart was far from God because of it. It was a sore, miserable existence that this man lived because it was all about getting his money. And then when he finally got the money, he lost all of it. He lost all of it. The riches perished by some sort of evil occurrence. 
and he was perhaps planning on setting up some dynasty for himself to leave it to his children so that they would have wealth that would go down his family line. It was a very big deal in Bible times to continue on with your family line and to take care of, of your children after you and to leave them an inheritance. And it came that he could not leave anything. There was nothing left in his hand. Nothing left for him to pass on. Why? Because riches of this world are fleeting. Riches of this world are fleeting. Look at what it says in 1 John chapter 2, would you? Let's see what the Lord says about this in the New Testament in 1 John chapter 2. We're warned, we're warned about earthly wealth. We're warned about the love of the things of this world. And there is a definite difference between this world and the world to come. It says in 1 John chapter 2 in verse number 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. It says that the things that are in the world, <clears throat> they're, they're directly opposed to the things of God. Jesus said it in the New Testament, saying to the, those that were listening to him, you cannot serve God and mammon. You say, what's mammon? Mammon's another word for money or wealth, like we might use the word cash. What he's saying is, you can't serve God in cash, you can't, you can't serve money and God at the same time, and you can't love the things of this world and love the things of the Father. There has to be a decision. There has to be a decision made for these things. And you know what? It should be pretty easy, because the things of this world are fading. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but there were a number of people that put money into cryptocurrencies over the last several years. Many of them are very unhappy right now. You know why? A lot, a lot of money's been lost. Very volatile. You say, I don't even know what cryptocurrency is. Don't worry about it. You're happy or not knowing. It looked like the greatest thing that you could find, and now it's somewhat doubtful. It's fading in value. In the same way that the things of this world will fade. The problem is the things of this world are easy to see. They're, they're in the advertising. They're on your screens. They're in the stores. You see driving down the street. Isn't that a nice car? You see somebody's house in a neighborhood. Isn't that a nice house? And the things of this world look very present. But if you could look at them from eternity, you would find that they are not nearly as valuable as we think they are. Have you ever been on a set for a movie or a television show and got to see behind the facades of the fake buildings? Any of you ever watch Westerns? Have you ever watched Westerns? My grandfather loved Westerns. And when we went over to his house, he would never change the channel for us. We were watching Westerns with him. And you would see that city street where the people were coming and going in that Western town. But do you know what was behind the facades of those buildings? Nothing. Maybe one of those was actually a place that they had a real set inside for. And from what Bonanza taught me, it was the saloon. That's what, it was the only real building in that place. It's, that's, that's what it's really like. All of these riches, they look good on the outside, but if we could look from eternity, it would be like stepping around the back of the set and seeing, this is all empty. There's nothing real here. Oh, it looks good on the front, but it's of no real value. Back in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse number 15, as he came forth of his mother's womb 
Naked shall he return to go as he came. Babies are cute. I like babies. We had a baby born in our congregation this week. That's an exciting thing. Little Chase Deeks was born. Uh, nine pounds, how many ounces? Nine ounces. Nine pounds, nine ounces. It's a big baby. That's a very big baby. And, and you know what? There was much joy that came with him, but no money. Chase didn't bring any money with him. He had no cash on him. He, he didn't have a debit card. He had no checkbook. He didn't come with a stock portfolio. You know what he came with? Nothing. Nothing. Maybe, maybe some crying, but that's all that he brought with him. And you know what? The Bible says that's how it's going to be at the end, too. At the beginning, we didn't come with anything. And at the end, we won't be able to take anything with us. The kings, the pagan kings of old, would be buried with their treasures and even with their pets and their servants. Even if the pets and servants weren't dead yet. And they'd be buried with them because people thought they would need them in the afterlife. Do you know who used those riches? Not those pagan kings. The grave robbers, the archaeologists. Those are the ones that got those things. Why? Because they couldn't take anything with them. All of their status... All of their fame and wealth and power, it couldn't go with them. What they came in with, which is nothing, with, is the same thing that they left with. It says, and shall take nothing of his labor which he may carry away in his hand. There is no physical thing that is going to go with you. Look in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Spelled out very plainly for us. 1 Timothy chapter 6. In verse number 7. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 7. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. There's a bumper sticker that says, He who dies with the most toys wins. Let's amend that. He who dies with the most toys is dead. And he doesn't get to take any of it with him. He doesn't get to take a thing of it with him. And so wouldn't it be sad for somebody who lived to put all of these things together and then never do anything with them? Maybe for a few years and then to pass away. What a shame to waste your life succeeding at the wrong thing. Back in Ecclesiastes in verse number 16 of chapter 5, it says, and this, well, actually it says, yeah, and this also is a sore evil, that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? He says, this is another tragedy that this person spent all of his time working to try and grasp the wind. Now, you can't grasp the wind, by the way. Go outside. I'm sure the wind is blowing. Grab it. Go ahead, grab it. See how much you get. What do you get if you try and grab the wind? Nothing. You can feel it blowing around, and it seems like you could get it. How many of your dogs try and bite the wind? And if you do that, maybe they hang their head out the window of the car if you let them do that, and they're just biting at the wind as it blows in their face. You know what? They're never going to catch it. They feel something, but they're never going to catch it. And we can laugh at that because that's a dog being silly. But a man or a woman to waste his or her life trying to grasp at something, to labor at something, and have them never get it, and what is it that they're trying to get? Enough. 
They're trying to get enough to finally be satisfied. Enough money, enough respect, enough approval, enough perhaps self-respect. They're, they're, try, they're trying to gather it in so that they're finally happy. And they'll never have that. They'll never have that. Now, what does life look like for these, this gentleman? Well, Solomon saw in verse 17, all his days also he eateth in darkness, and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. This life, a life characterized by the obsession of filling your earthly pockets with earthly riches, led to loneliness and frustration and anger and sadness. Back in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're warned of this. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 10, should have told you to keep your place there. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So imagine here somebody that knows Jesus Christ as Savior. They were following after him, but the, the riches of this world pulled him, pulled her away, away from the things that truly mattered, away from their God and away from the rest of the saints and away from perhaps even their family so that they might gather as much as they can. And it says that they pierced themselves through with many sorrows. They brought it on themselves. Do you know how many stories? I saw the strangest thing in the world. Someone won the lottery and they went to get the money and they were wearing the mask from a horror movie. There's this, this ghoulish looking face and they, they wore this mask so that no, and they had gloves on. So you couldn't tell who they were. So when they went to sign the papers to receive the money, no one would know so that their family members don't come knocking to try and get the money. So that uh, nobody knows who they are. You know why that is? Almost every single story of somebody who has no money getting a large sum of money without having worked for it turns into a tragedy. It really does. It ruins people. You know what money does? Money's not evil. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money's not evil. You know what money does? It gives you more rope to hang yourself on. It lets you bring out more of what's on the inside. You know, a lot of people would do a lot of bad things, but they don't have the money to do it. But if you had the money, you could indulge in all of those things that other people might not be able to. Who knows? Perhaps some people haven't been given the money that they desire because God knows it's better for them not to have it. It's better for them not to have it. And so here, here is somebody that has pierced themselves through and their life is dark and it's drear. And yet it looks great on the outside. It looks great on the outside. We see the, the rich and famous, don't we? What was that show? The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Some person with an accent got on and had us tour through people's houses and, and they would show us and you'd think, wow, isn't that amazing? Do you, do you want to guess how many of those people are happily married? Do you want to guess how many of those people have a good relationship with their child that have a solid walk with God that are giving their lives to the things that matter? I bet you it's a remarkably small number. A remarkably small number. There's a story that, that a preacher told, and maybe he's telling the truth. I don't know. He could be lying to me. He was out from California. And uh, not everyone from California lies. Let me back up and say that. But he said that a man who worked 
um, for Eddie Murphy, cleaning, cleaning his house and fixing stuff around his house. Maybe it was David Gibbs. I don't know. He tells a bunch of stories. He's always got amazing stories. Anyway, he, um, he said that he was talking with Eddie Murphy, who, who hasn't made a movie in a long time, but used to be quite popular in the 90s and seemed to be in every movie for a period of time. And he talked about how he had all of these cars and this big house and all of these friends. He said, but why am I still not happy? And this man returned to his pastor and said, you can't, you're not going to believe what this man with all of this wealth and all of these connections and his, his lights, his name is up in lights. You're not going to believe what he said. I think that that's the norm. I think that that's the norm for people that live under the sun and have spent their life gathering fame and approval and riches and comforts. Now, there's an important question to ask. Is money then evil? Is money then the problem that this man had? Is, is that what the misery is? Is the answer to live poor? Verse 18. Behold, that which I have seen. He's saying, I saw something else too, by the way. I didn't just see this man who kept his riches to his own hurt. I saw this. Behold that which I have seen. It is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life. He says, I've seen something else. I've seen a hardworking person who is given things to enjoy and it's good and it's appropriate and it's fitting that he enjoys the fruit of his labor. There's nothing wrong with it at all. There's nothing wrong with it at all. But notice here, it says, which God giveth him, for it is his portion. This is somebody that knows the Lord, that follows after the Lord, and God chose to increase him. God chose to increase her, perhaps, to make them rich. If God does it, and it's a reward from the Lord, rejoice in it. But if you set your heart upon it, that is where you and I will find ourselves in serious trouble. It says... Every man, verse 19, also to whom God giveth riches and wealth and hath given him the power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. He says, even if you don't have tons of wealth and riches, but you do have things and you're able to enjoy those things and the Lord has given them to you, rejoice in that. That is a good thing. So what we find out here is that the, the wealth of this world is not necessarily evil, but it is dangerous. It's not necessarily evil, but it is dangerous because it's easy to set your heart on the things of this earth if you have a lot of wealth on this earth. Now, this might be some sort of blanket statement, and maybe it's not true everywhere. But from my experience, people are much more open to gospel conversations in poor neighborhoods. I, I have visited people in very wealthy neighborhoods where you only get to visit 10 houses in an hour because you have to walk so far between everyone's driveways. I've been to those neighborhoods. I've also been to the neighborhoods where people don't have hardly anything. And they're all out. And they're on their, their, their streets and their, their front lawns and back lawns and they're talking with each other. It's interesting. People that don't have a lot are much freer, less encumbered, with the things of this world, and so it's not so hard for them to hear and to believe about the things in the world to come because they're not as closely tied to this earth. And so the wealth is not a danger. It's something that if you have, you should enjoy it, but not set your heart on. It says, for he, verse 20, for he shall not much remember the days of his life because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. 
I think this phrase speaks to this life, but also to the life to come. Friend, I want you to know that whatever this life deals you or has dealt you, I want you to know that compared to eternity, it's going to seem like just a moment. And the joy that you will have when you see the Lord, you are not going to be griping when you get into heaven that you didn't have what so-and-so had. You're not going to be griping that you didn't get your shot or you didn't have your opportunity. None of that. When you see Jesus and he fills your heart with rejoicing in his presence, you're not going to worry one bit about the things that perhaps you missed out on while you're here. Young people, I know that there is a tendency to look at the world and the freedom that they have, that they can be with whoever they want to be and go and do whatever they want and listen to whatever they want and watch whatever they want, and there's no rules upon them, and it looks like that is something that is to be desired. But I promise you that if you live for God, one moment into eternity, you're going to realize how little all of those things meant and how dangerous they could have been. And so when those things are deprived from you and you don't get to run with the world because you have Christ-honoring parents that set boundaries for you, or when you set boundaries for yourself and you look over and you say, I wonder if maybe they've got the right of it and I've got the wrong of it, one moment into eternity, it'll be completely clear that you made the right choice. In fact, many people don't have to wait for eternity. You live long enough and you see where those paths lead you. But most certainly, once you step into the glory and the joy of the Lord, you're not going to worry about it for one moment. But also in this life, you know what? If you have much or you have little, if you're close to God, you'll be filled with joy. You know what I, I, I don't totally understand? Was why those people invited me to come and preach to them in India. I really don't totally get why they wanted me over there. Here they are, living very simply, without hardly any of our conveniences, without our technologies, they're walking everywhere. It seems like only a handful of them actually have vehicles. They're growing their food. They're subsistence farmers or, or simple shop clerks. There, there's not much there. And you know what? They're happy. They're happy. They have learned to be happy without so much of this world's earthly treasure. Because they have the Lord. You say, how can they be happy if they don't have the newest, latest, greatest thing? Because they have the Lord. I think that we don't realize how rich we are in our country until we leave our country and see how other people live. You see, it sounds like I'm saying only rich people are in danger of having their hearts stolen by this world. I want you to know we are all the rich people in this room. We are all, even if you're in poverty levels by American standards, you're still probably in the 1% if taken around the world. If you look at all of the world's income, we are all wealthy beyond what we can imagine. And so the danger is there. I want you to know that if you have much or you have little, if you enjoy what you have, there's nothing wrong with that. But you have to enjoy it in the Lord giving glory to God for what he's put in your hand. That is a wonderful thing. If that means that you have a lot, then give glory to God and enjoy it. If that means that you have a little, then give glory to God and enjoy it. Because really, as unfair as it feels now, <laughs> what's waiting for us? I mean, you, you can think back to times when you, uh, you argued about the silliest things with your siblings. Your pizza has more pepperoni on it than mine. I want to sit in that seat. Why does, why does she get to sit in that seat? She sat in that seat last time. 
right? And to some people, some of the kids are like, yeah, that happens to me all the time. This world is a place of injustice. And we're as parents and we're like, and you've got pizza, be happy. We look back at those things and we're like, that is crazy that we got upset over that. Maybe you've reminisced with some of your siblings now that you're a little further along and you can think back, do you remember when we fought about this thing? You know what it's going to be like when we're in heaven? It'd be like, do you remember back on earth all of the nonsense that we got upset about and how little it really mattered? But boy, we thought it did and it really didn't. Why? Compared to what's waiting for us, friend, this, this is not much. This is not much. Here are some thoughts for us to act on as we, as we wrap things up tonight. First of all, beware the deceitfulness of riches. Earthly riches. It's alluring and it's addictive. People think all my problems would be solved if I had that money. That's what people without money think. They think that my problems would be solved if I had that money. And then the people with money think my problems would be solved if I had more money. Did you know that there are people who make well over six figures every year and they're still broke? <laughs> and they still have problems? That, that's not the answer to our problem. Like I said, the money just allows what's on the inside more free range on the outside. The riches of this world are temporary. They're fading away. And they reveal in the heart of man what's in there because now he has greater spending power. So we don't have to look at them as that they're evil, but it's a little bit dangerous. It's a little bit dangerous. And we need to treat it as such. Because though money can make a great tool, a great tool for the Lord, a great tool for your family, it can also become a terrible master and start to control you. And this isn't just money. This is also the approval of this world or the respect of this world. Having all the things that this world says that you need to have. It is a shallow, shallow reality behind it. It's like you're stepping around and you're seeing behind the set that there's nothing there, which brings us to the second point, is to recognize the nature of true value. Recognize the what really matters. Since we can't take any of those things with us, in the end, they don't really matter. Right? We can't take them with us, so why would we gather a big pile of it and then leave it behind? We're born without anything, and it's certain that we will die without anything. And so the thing we have to set our hearts on are the things above that are lasting. Look in Colossians chapter 3, would you? Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. This is written to the believers in the church in Colossae. This is, this is not written to unsaved people. This is something that, that believers must do. We must set our affections. We must be aware that it's easy to set our affections on the things of this earth. But if we're risen with Christ... We now have a different reality. It's sad to say, but people who don't know Christ, this world's wealth is the greatest thing that they can ever hope to have. This is all the comfort that they'll ever know. This is all the peace that they'll ever know. This is all of the satisfaction that they'll ever know because their life only becomes terrible after death. 
as they step into the judgment for their sin. But for you and I that have such great things waiting for us, not because we're good, but because God's good. Not because we're worthy, but because he's worthy. Not because we've earned it, but because Christ has earned it. If there is any sinner that does not end up in hell, it is because of the grace of God and not because of that sinner's good deeds or hard work or commitment. It is only because of what Christ has done on the cross. That's what's going to let us in. I saw a clip of Alistair Begg, who pastors on the other side of town here. He's a closet Baptist, by the way. He admitted it. So uh, I don't know how he, gets, how he can do that and still be a Presbyterian, but he's a closet Baptist. He, he admitted it. And um, he said, told, told a little story about the, the thief on the cross, about how that worked out for him when he wound up in heaven. The guy didn't have any opportunity to get baptized, didn't know anything about church membership, didn't know anything about... Uh, about um, <laughs> about God's word or, or, or the scriptures perhaps, but he shows up there and if you could imagine with your sanctified imagination, the heaven saying, well, why, the angel saying in heaven, why should we let you in? I don't know. Well, what are you doing here? I don't know. And the angel says, well, I got to go get my manager and he goes over and gets the manager angel. The manager angel comes over and says, listen, friend, why, why, why are you here? Why should you be allowed into heaven? And he's like, I don't have the faintest idea. And the manager says, well, well let, me, let me get your, your, your position on the, the doctrine of sanctification before I let you in and see if you line up right. Man says, I have no idea what that is. I want you to tell me about your, your uh, bibliology beliefs. I want you to tell me about, about what you believe on the authority of Scripture. The man looks around and he says, listen, the only reason I'm here is because the man on the middle cross said I could come. Right? And that is really the truth for everybody. The only reason that we get to come. So it's never anything that we boast about. So we're not better than them, but we do have a different future than those that don't know Christ. And that future will only be as full and as joyful and as rewarding as it ought to be if we now set our affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Some things are actually eternal. Can someone tell me something that's eternal? Yes. Salvation. That's true. So if that's true, what what ought we be about? What's important then? The souls of men. That's right. You, the only thing that you can take with you is people. God's word is eternal. That'll, that'll go, but that's already settled in heaven, so you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about taking a copy of your Bible with you. It's already up there. But it's people. What about the, the how, how do you send, how do you send the wealth of this world on ahead so that it is there to meet you when you get there. Winning souls? Yep. Giving. To do what? Yep. To further God's work so that people can get saved and become more like Christ and and glorify God. So whenever we want to try and send money to our missionaries abroad, sometimes we have to jump through a few hoops to make that happen, don't we? We have to wire the money here and send it on ahead so that they can get it. We can't just mail it to them. And you can't just Venmo everybody. Once you start crossing the boundaries into different countries, it gets weird with all of that. So you have to send it on ahead through a special channel. When you and I give, we honor the Lord by obeying his commands. When we give... We help reach men, women, boys, and girls in our community with the gospel. And when we give, we help further God's work around the world. And that is treasure that abounds to our account. 
So we can't take it with us, but we can send it on ahead. We can send it on ahead, without a doubt. Not only money, but what about our efforts? What about the rewards? The rewards that we have for being faithful to the Lord. The crowns that we have. These are the things that really matter. The things that we invest in. Recognize the true value of things. And by the way, you're rewarded for being faithful, not for having a lot. You're rewarded for being faithful, not for having a lot. I want you to know that if you're faithful with the little that you've been given, you know what you get when you get to heaven? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with little. I will make you ruler over much. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. You know what? If you get to heaven and you, you were given a lot on earth and you were faithful with it, you have millions of dollars. You know what you're going to get when you get to heaven and you're faithful with it? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You were faithful over little. I shall make you ruler over much. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. You get a lot or a little, it doesn't matter because God knows what you got because he's the one who gave it to you. The only question comes with what you do with it. And you can enjoy it along the way. And that's the last point. Enjoy what God has given you. Enjoy what God has given you. God has blessed all of us with differing levels of wealth and talent and health and opportunity. Success isn't about having a lot. It's about being faithful with whatever you're given. And then enjoy what comes from that. I want you to know that there, the, I hope one day, I hope one day we get to bring some of the people that we've met overseas here, right? Our, our, our Filipino pastors that we support, we, we've gotten to see a number of them. Hopefully we're going to get to see a number more of them. They have a hard time communicating back to their people in the Philippines, how exactly we live. They have a hard time helping them to understand. They're like, wait, 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 wait. Just about everybody that's an adult has a car? Yeah, just about everybody. Well, what about a family? How many cars do they have? Well, I guess it depends on how many people in that family are old enough to drive. Wait a minute, and what are the size of their houses? How many of them don't have houses? Wait, how much do they eat? They're all that big, right? This is, this is what they have to try and explain to them because they have such a differing understanding of wealth. Such a differing understanding of wealth. You know, and they're still happy. Why? Why? Because they're filled with the joy of the Lord. And I want you to know that if they're not happy with what they have over here, coming here and getting what we have still wouldn't make them happy. Because there's not enough to do that. So use what you've been given and enjoy what it brings. Give God glory as you partake of it. Practice gratitude. Practice gratitude. Here is a person that's described for us in the second half of these things who's not keeping wealth to his own hurt, who's not obsessed with it. He sees whatever it is that the Lord brings into his hand, trusting that the Lord will meet his needs. He partakes of it. He is glad for it. He rejoices in it and he doesn't dwell on it too deeply. Don't let fear of tomorrow rob today of its joys. Don't let fear of tomorrow rob today of its joys. And that's honestly what happens when we're worried about the future and when we're thinking about the future and when we don't just be here and now and what God has given us. How do we do that? We remember the Lord. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power to eat thereof, 
and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he shall not much remember the days of his life, because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment and close your eyes? We have in our church a time of invitation where we invite you to act on what it is that the Lord has spoken to you about tonight. And I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. I know what the Lord has spoken to me about. I know what the Lord has spoken to me about. It's so easy to be dissatisfied with the things that you have. So easy. And to always want more, to want something different, instead of rejoicing in the things that are right in front of you. The good things that God has done. That's what the Lord has spoken to me about. What about you tonight? If you're here tonight and and perhaps you don't know Christ as your Savior, I would implore you, as we talked about, there is such a better future and a better life here and now for those that know Christ as Savior. Be freed from your sins. The Lord Jesus Christ went to such great lengths so that you could have the forgiveness of sins. God gave His only begotten Son that you and I should not perish but have everlasting life. Won't you receive Him today? Won't you pray and ask Him? But I would imagine in a night like this, with weather like this, that most of the people here would say that they know Christ as their Savior. And if that's the case for you, let me ask you a question. Have you become sidetracked with the stuff of this world? Have the riches of this world allured you away? Do you find yourself maybe not having those riches, but chasing after them? Just a little bit more, just a little bit easier, just, just, just thinking that somewhere out there there's enough of this world that will satisfy. Believer, we can see from God's word that that will never never satisfy. Perhaps you need to ask the Lord to help you to set your affections on things above and not on the things of this earth. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would there be anybody here today that would say, Lord, help me to set my affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Would you just slip your hand up and write back down? I want to pray for you. You say, that's me, that's me. I need to reorient a few things. Amen, thank you. You can put your hands down. Are you enjoying what God has given you? Are you able to be here and now and in these moments? Or is the thought of the future and the thought of getting more and the thought of when this is over and when this changes and when I get past this, has it robbed you of the ability to enjoy what God has put into your hands now, whether it's much or little? You say, God helping me, I'm going to try and be grateful in this present moment. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Would you just slip your hand up and say, that's me. I'm going to try and be grateful in this present moment. Amen. 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 Praise God. Me too, friend. Me too. I'm always, always thinking. We need to stop and be thankful. Perhaps the Lord has spoken with you about some other thing. Whatever it is, would you say yes to him? Father, we take this time of invitation and we commit it to you. I pray that you would be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.